Hi, everybody, and welcome to Beware the Artist. I'm Jeremy Gersa, and I'm very excited to have our first guest on the show, Akil Gatsi. Um, Akil, if you want to go ahead and give the audience a little intro to yourself, and then we can get into it. Well, uh, what's going on? I'm Akil, fucking lead singer of the Baltimore hardcore punk band Ended, one half of the Up the Blunks podcast brought to you by the Hard Times magazine online magazine chronicles who knows i don't even know it's the hard times look it up <laughs> all right so why don't you tell us a little bit about end it what you guys are about and how y'all got together so end it the the band ended i'm in i i was initially in a band called malicious code i sang for malicious code rest in peace and i went from malicious code to end it and it started in 2016 it was three dudes, they were all jamming and they needed a vocalist. And like, I came to one practice, wrote a song at practice and we've been thugging it out ever since. How would you say your kind of songwriting process is with you and the guys in the band? So, <laughs> uh, me and the guitarist, Ray, Ray will come to me with a riff. And it was much easier because we all used to work at the auto bar together, me and Ray did. And like, so Ray would have the riffs and I got the lyrics and we, you know, just hanging out at the bar drinking and he'd give me a riff and I'm like, well, maybe we should tweak it like this. And then after we work a shift, we go to the practice space and he start riffing and I'd start making suggestions. And uh, that's how like the first EP was written and part of the second EP. And when it comes to like writing songs, I don't know. Uh, it that it's not as organized in all honesty my songwriting process is not as organized as i would like it to be like in a in a perfect world i would be able to just cut the music on sit down think about something i want to write about and write most of the time because it is hardcore it's punk rock it's so emotional and the fact that i'm irresponsible a lot of it gets written in the studio mm -hmm. and i don't know i really got to like i got to be in the mood to write in all honesty like especially with the whole black lives matter situations and people dying at the hands of police and covid there's so much to write about like on top of already just being a human we're going to remove all race creed colors mm -hmm. just being human there's a ton of things to discuss Agreed. and then we had what's happening in the world right now is i'm just overwhelmed so i haven't i haven't even been in the space to write Honestly, I freestyle a lot, but like as to actually sit down and get something on paper, it I guess it all depends on the environment. You know what I mean? I do, I do. So that kind of leads me into another one of my questions. Um, with with punk being such a, a political movement many times throughout history, um, and you being a frontman and a person of color, do you feel any responsibility to to write about what's happening in today's current uh, political climate? And that's one of the that's one of the 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 things that's holding up my writing. Uh, yeah, we got a pretty big platform. People like the band. I'm boisterous. I got this podcast and everything. It would be negligent for me to not speak on the situations. Mm -hmm. However, I got my own personal feelings about a lot of things, and I guess sometimes in punk and whatnot. Because remember, punk is tongue in cheek. Like I'm, I'm torn between being serious about like what's going on in the world and how horrible things are, mm -hmm. but there's also the punk rock tradition I grew up in, 
which is like trying to get people's goat. But getting people's goat is not, there's a time and place. Right now is right. not the time and no place. As a boisterous young youth, you were just kind of trying to provoke people and poke poke at them, trying to push these buttons in order to get a always, reaction. Always poke them there. Because okay. I think I'm, and not necessarily now, I've learned, I've been humbled a whole lot over the years. But you know, when you're younger, you're learning these new concepts and you're like, I'm a communist, but I'm also a Rastafarian, but I'm a skinhead. Like I'm smarter than everyone. I know more than the world. And then you get older and you're like, all right, that's still valid. I do have a unique perspective on things, but like, now's not the time. I but I do, I do feel a sense of responsibility in my writing to at least touch on what's happening in the world. But in all honesty, what more do I need to say? Like, what, what more could I possibly say? We, we, people have tried to protest peacefully. People have had riots. There's anything short of like combat with armed militias. Mm -hmm. The proletariat has tried everything we can possibly do to gain respect so that things will change. And I guess we're sort of kind of just at a point where it's like, what are we going to do, y'all? You're either going to accept it and move on, which is really where I've been at mm -hmm. for a number of years now, especially growing up in Dundalk and hanging out with, uh, just all types of people, all types of wild, you know, you stay out after the sun go down, you're going to meet all types of people. And yeah, you actually a, get to a wild place. Yeah. And you get to talk to him and you realize like, oh, he ain't a racist. He just dumb. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a, a large amount of ignorance in the kind of uh, socioeconomic climate that we, we come from. Um, and, and you kind of, you, you bring this up a little bit in your, the podcast that you run, Up the Blunks. Um, you have two uh, punks of color that are from two socioeconomic backgrounds, two backgrounds kind of talking about um, subject matter and these two perspectives. Um, would you like to kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, uh, and of course, I'm gonna tie it into the whole writing thing. I've been going through this with an associate of mine lately. The so obviously my father, I'm the son of a steel worker. My mom's got a master's in early childhood education. I didn't come from a horrible background by any means, but because my dad had me at 41, I didn't have that rat race pressure. You know, like mm -hmm. my dad retired when I was 10 years old. So my viewpoint is like, well, shit, you're gonna work real hard to eventually just hang out. Okay. So why should I get a career? Because if this is the end result, if after working 30 years, you're just going to end up watching your 10 year old kid, potentially, everything I was taught in school goes out the window. Right, right. And then I think about where I've come from. We, we're comfortable. We got uh, more than some, less than others. Still working class though. Yep. So when we think, you know, you think of people of color, you hear that phrase, person of color, and you see a black man, we look at everything that's going on in the world and I'm like, we have, we all have similar journeys, but there's very, there's variables that also dictate our decision-making. Because like, if I don't have to worry about where my next meal's coming from, that does afford me the ability to go to punk rock shows and get thrashed True. and just like be wow and get it all out early, mm -hmm. which facilitates all these other networks and things I know. Like if it wasn't for me being a punk, and being wild and not caring 
and like just not necessarily being well off, but just middle of the road, just middle class America. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. like we went to Disney every year, but because we didn't want to. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was there was food in the house, lights on, but if I wanted to go to a show and be out all night. It's not like mommy and daddy was sending a cab. It was like, so you want to go, you live in Rosedale, you want to go to Baltimore City. The bus didn't shut down, and you also don't have any money because you're a stupid punk rocker. I guess you got to walk home. So I've had to walk the three and a half, four hours sometimes from the show to my house and then turn around and go to high school in the morning. That's, yeah. that's, that's intense. I don't know, it's man. Okay. It's weird in being a punk and like my political points of view, because I tend to go off of this thing where I don't necessarily outwardly express, excuse me, my political leanings mm-hmm. sometimes, because a lot of it I feel is implied. Mm. Like, no, I don't support the police. I'm a black man. Mm-hmm. But then you get out in this world and you find like, that's not the case for everyone. So it does need to be stated like I'm anti-police. Mm-hmm. I think- Which is crazy in my head, because why would yeah. you be pro not and not not the police as a as a concept or idea? Because like the police is a concept, I get it. But the the military, the militarized police that currently inhabit America, like what happened in Portland? I saw some footage from Portland. Didn't the police pull out like a tank? And yeah. they had enough riot shields to outfit like 60, 90 police officers. Why would well, you already have here? Yeah, just prepared to go to war. Yeah. But these are the people that are supposed to protect and serve us. What are they expecting a war from another country on American soil? What's going on here? Well, funny thing that you bring that up. There there was a uh, a law that was uh that was written into law um, probably in the early 2000s where they were taking excess military um, gear and instead of just kind of either breaking it down or selling it off to lower countries, they were just giving the excess to police departments. So the police departments just started stocking up for 20 years on all of this tactical gear. And now they are their little own militias. um, Military grade tactical gear, given the dudes that we went to high school with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think policing has has it it never it never was the idea of actual policing um, because so many police departments were actually started as um, you know to capture slaves that ran away. Yep. That's the founding of many of the police departments within our country. And then you you look at the idea that they've went from policing to or at least the idea that they will be policing to law enforcement and they're not necessarily um, enforcing any laws. They are choosing the laws that they want to um, enforce on uh, demographics that they find to be lesser. And uh, it's, it's, it's written into how they actually approach many situations. So the first time I went to jail, <laughs> uh, never been in for a long time. I've had a couple slumber parties. So first time I got I got booked, I was driving. I had a tail light out. Officer pulls me over. He says my license is suspended. I say no, no, no. It was suspended 
I have the paperwork that says I passed driver's improvement, and I also have a brand new registration. You can't get a brand new registration with a suspended license. The guy is a supervisor, hears the call over the radio, comes to the scene. Now, mind you, I'm working at the Four Seasons at the time. I have a mm -hmm. suit on. I'm just as articulate as I am now. And long story short, he's like, yeah, okay, bud. I end up in jail. The guy's taking me to jail and he's like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I just let a drunk Mexican guy go. I just let a drunk Mexican guy go like an hour ago. And he didn't even speak English. I was going to let you go too. But my sergeant having to hear it came down and here we are. And it was weird for the officer to apologize to me while in handcuffs. We get the central book and he takes me out the car. <laughs> And uh, he turns to me, he like, there's another guy there taking someone else out of the car. He's like, look who so-and-so had me bring in. I turned to the guy, I was like, I'm a criminal. <laughs> that is one of the most acute things I've, I've heard in a while. <laughs> <laughs> look at me, I'm a criminal. And we all started laughing. I was like, I might as well laugh because you're not going to let me go. Yeah. Oh, that's... The most ridiculous shit. But police and politics... I don't know. That's why I got that one song, Apolitical. I try, I I really do try to remove those labels and actually talk about the situations. Mm -hmm. Like in Apolitical, I say, it's not right or left, it's right or wrong. A racist show his face, he's fucking gone. So within our scene, I don't care if you vote for Trump, I don't care if you vote for Biden, I don't care if you're a third party voter. It's how you treat people. You could be a card-carrying racist, right? Mm -hmm. I don't actually care. Keep it to yourself. There's a multitude of other things we can discuss that don't include your support of hatred and genocide based upon skin color. We can discuss sherbet, uh, different types of cereals, exercise, poetry. Like we don't, we don't have to go through these dialogues all the time because, mm -hmm. like I said, there's a time and place. Now, so much of, so much of punk in general is, it's live. It's conversations that happen in person. It's it's the interaction of the community. How would you say that um, the community has been reacting in in the time of COVID, not being able to to really have these live shows? I'm gonna be. I mean, yo, I'm dying. <laughs> this is absolutely horrible. Uh, I don't get to book a show. We don't get to play a show. We don't get to travel. There's some people that I genuinely really care about that I only see at shows. And so now I not only don't get to see them, they could potentially be taken away from me by this invisible thing in the air. Mm -hmm. And these are people I've really been banging with for like 15 years. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I got a whole, I got all types of family members I'm not in touch with right now. And you can reach out to them on the internet but it's not the same as like you and I screaming these songs and give each other bro hugs and beat people up and stuff. Like it's just not the same. Uh, but I will say that we, uh, people have adapted, you know, you got your live stream performances, people still dropping uh, music and it's dropping, we'll drop a t-shirt on your ass, boy. <laughs> I know. You know I mean? think I've probably bought every single one of those t-shirts. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know that last one with the, the hanging fist? Yeah, yeah. That was brilliant. Yo, I actually didn't get that one. It sold out too fast. 
sold out in 12 hours and then we're taking this money and donating it. So we're not just talking about like the the stuff. We're actually doing the most we can do. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, we think about when you first heard about the Holocaust and all the concentration camps and whatnot. And as a child, because you don't have context, you're like, this is fucked up. How could this possibly happen? If I was there, I would have blah, blah, blah. And now here we are. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Describe the, the T-shirt that you're referring to. Oh, the T-shirt is a fist. It's a black fist. And it's my band. I hate I hate that turn of phrase. I hate saying my band. It's not my band. It's the band I'm in. But it's my band, so we can assume it's my hand. And <laughs> it's a black fist uh, with strings coming down from the fingers, and it got, like, uh, Klansmen and police officers hanging at the end of the ropes. Because they tend to go hand in hand, which yeah. is wild how much white supremacy has ran through everyone's police department. Mm-hmm. So much so that who who are you and I? You are art teacher, and I'm a you are art school teacher, and I'm a goon, and we both know that white supremacy is throughout every police force. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? Um, where is the money actually going from these T-shirts? We got. Uh, oh man, put me on the spot. It's a couple nonprofits. Uh, is Baltimore Youth Arts? which they deal in summer programs to reduce recidivism and give kids stuff to do, uh, just like programs and whatnot, mm-hmm. outlets. And the other one, I want to say it was called Border Angels. Excuse me. I believe it's called Border Angels. And they they do water drops and resource drops and help people get green cards and uh, bail people out of ICE detention and stuff like that. I actually um, I did something similar with, I don't know if you've ever seen my Anxieties t-shirts. Yeah. Um, I sold a bunch of those and then, uh, most of the profits went to, well, all of the profits, I, I didn't take <laughs> anything from them, um, just cover the cost of the shirt itself. Um, but all the profits went to the NAACP. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's well, right. The, the legal, legal the defense fund. I didn't fund. know you donated yeah. the money. Yeah. So all the profits from it, um, I basically just paid for the t-shirts and then everything else went to, uh, NAACP legal defense fund. Hell yeah. See, that, like, that's the most we can do. It'd be one thing if we were actually, if this was February and, Jul- and January and these events had occurred, but we could still go outside mm-hmm. without fear of, like, dying. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. Even in that, I still feel like I'm not doing enough. But that's what I was going to get at. I do have a baby now. And I got, you know, you get 30, you have people pass away, you start to get all emotional and whatnot. What sense would it make for me to, I'm I'm a safe throw my life away, whether it's for a good cause or not. It wouldn't make sense for me to jump out there and call myself trying to uh, free an ICE detention center. And in doing so, now I'm leaving this little girl without a father. Mm-hmm. It's definitely understandable. You don't, you don't need to... Like my heart, but that's the thing though. My heart is totally with dismantling this system. If right now I heard, like if right now we would decide to revolt as Americans, I would put this iPhone down and make it do what it do. Mm-hmm. But we're not there yet. And hopefully we don't have to go there. Hopefully we can have some conversations and work towards a better tomorrow. But like I started this out with, I don't really see how change is going to be enacted without some bloodshed. I'm also extreme. Yeah, it's 
it's it's sad though that that in in these these times when the average person is more educated than any other point in history has more access to information than any other point in history that we have so many people that have put up these blinders and these roadblocks and they're not seeing the full story of what's happening in America they're 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 in their um, little you know their little bubbles of of yep. what their everyday lives are and it's weird cuz we all got Twitter, we all got Instagram, we all got the internet. Ain't that much, there's no possible way you can see what's going on in this world. Pick whatever side you're gonna stand on and feel justified in it. Well, the average person's not gonna act until it physically affects them. That's how 99% of our society works. They don't How care. Wired. Yeah, they don't care until they're directly affected. So there's there's a huge lack of empathy within um, the average American citizen. Yeah, remember they told us like, "Hey, uh, drinking's bad," and you were like, "Well, why?" And they were like, "Just trust me on this one." And then you got a hangover, and you were like, "Oh, <laughs> shit." And that's pretty much, that's humanity in a nutshell. It's like, yo, don't touch that stove. The stove is hot. Stay away from the stove. Well, it can't be so hot. Let me see how hot it is. Oh, I burnt my hand. That's yes, very I true. Just told you. Yeah. I just told you it was hot, but you had to find out for yourself. That's so true. But that, I mean, that's life. So up the flunks, <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about uh, that podcast that you have going. So Up the Blunks is, of course, myself and a buddy of mine named uh, Kevin Titt. Kevin is Hawaiian. Like, well, he's not, he, he a military dude. He spent a majority of his time in Hawaii. And uh, he came to live in Virginia. Long story short, he saw me playing when we played the Why Not Lot with Turnstile. And he's a comedian. I fashioned myself to be kind of funny. And from then on, and he writes for the hard times. Okay. So throughout the midst of all this, the hard times looked around and was like, yeah, we ain't got no black people doing nothing. We can't be all punk and giving our critiques and thoughts on everything, but we're also dropping the ball in those regards. So they gave Kevin the chance to have a podcast and he immediately thought of me and it's called Up the Blunks because Kevin's a punk rocker. I'm a punk rocker. Like me and Kevin both, Kevin from all the way from Hawaii. Kevin and I both like a lot of the same bands, and we I think we got we got we got one of the same tattoos. And like I don't even know this dude like that. So that's great. Um, playing on that idea that um, you know the hardest times looked around and they're like, "Yo, we don't have any black people around." Um, do you get that kind of a lot when you go and play a show in a city you've never been to before and they're like, oh shit, I didn't realize he's black. Well, of course, because of the internet, everybody know my big black ass is going to be on the microphone. But in years gone by, uh, it's weird to like look back and realize I was the token but I never entered these spaces because there weren't other black people there. I went to the show because um, I can do whatever I want in here. And also there's music I want to hear. Mm -hmm. 
So like, I didn't necessarily care who else was in there. I'm coming here because I heard you do cartwheels and drink and like fireworks off and get fights <laughs> and buy t-shirts and like just have fun. So uh, that's why I got into it. So in all honesty, shit, they picked the right ones. Because <laughs> this just, it's just, I guess the tokenization is just going to happen. I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I'm just being a kill. I love that. That like that that leads to another thing. A lot of this, a lot of what's going on in the world right now is not black people's problems. This is the system that we are not. We're a part of the system, but this is the system that is taking advantage of us. For X amount of years, black people weren't really allowed to function. So when we come to instances like this in American society. I don't personally feel responsible for a goddamn. That's for y'all to figure out. Mm-hmm. All the powers that be, all the people with the privilege and the actual decision making, y'all need to figure that out. You got people, you should now go, you should go to the marginalized people and hear them out, see what they need, see how you can assist. But at the end of the day, y'all need to sit down and have a conversation and figure out what y'all gonna do. Yeah. I, I find myself yeah. uh very lucky in my position as an art professor with especially with the um, art history classes that I teach where you know I expose I expose the students to um, the quote-unquote canon of what is deemed as art history and what are you know these masterworks throughout art history but being able to also break the canon break that um, traditional oh this is the white male painter this is the white male painter this is the white male painter bringing in all these other artists to then you know open up their mind and see oh there's someone like me that's actually out here painting there's someone like me that's making these sculptures and their voice is just as valid as these old dusty white men that are sitting there in the corner you know um so and we're encouraged to do that um which is really nice within uh, a lot of the administrations that i teach in but it's not the case for you know all majors um so much of yeah. art is about, you know, broadening perspective and being inclusive and showing these different points of view so that you can get a better understanding of life in general. Um, so I just I just hope that maybe that starts to kind of, you know, filter into yeah. other majors and, and it starts to, you know, really start to develop these people that we're pushing into society that are supposed to be functioning members. What what's crazy is throughout if we look back through the annals of history, there's always been a a black something or another or a female something or another involved working directly with there is like there's always a contemporary of another ethnicity of these great masters, but they're not the ones in the textbooks. Yes. And I'm not even gonna go into it because they're not being represented or whatnot. That is exactly what's happening. Agreed. And hopefully, and hopefully we go along because that's the thing though. And this is where I tend to get into some trouble. In wanting to allow other people a platform, you don't want to become, and wanting to fight the oppressor, you don't want to inadvertently become the oppressor. So are you saying you there shouldn't be a uh kind of overcorrection in the pressing down of the other um, demographics that are fully represented? 
there needs to be a balance. And that's about, that's one of the bigger issues of what's going on with the world right now. The people who have not been allowed to express themselves are now so fed up with what's going on that I would hate for people in being so frustrated and being oppressed to lose their own humanity. Mm. And Very that's like, the, that's gonna be the hardest thing going forward is still making space for other people to express themselves regardless of how long they've been able to express themselves. Because if you shut them out, they're doing, you're doing the same thing to them they did to you and you didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. And that's the real, that's the real struggle within all this. Like you got to look, you got to look your oppressor in the eye and tell me love them. Mm. And then that goes into Christianity. If you only knew what goes on in my head from day to day. <laughs> I don't know if I could personally part. handle it. <laughs> Welcome to alcoholism. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really do think that'll be a challenge. So the challenge is not finding these people in their uh, artistic expression. We got that. We got the internet. The challenge is going to be finding a balance and mm. actually allowing space for everyone to be represented. Well, I think it's also finding finding the right spaces because even though everyone has access to everything, it's it's providing uh, um, room for you know the institutions that um, you know write the history. Why are they the ones that are you know that that have that footing um, historically? They have it because they are that institution. But what gives them the right to be the um, be the ones that craft these annals of history? Um, yeah, and I think now, if we are to go a hundred years ahead, all of a sudden everything that we've done on the internet, everything that we've done on video, um, just every documented part of um, our contemporary society, is now a valid contextual history point. So you yep. can come back and look at all of this, but right now we're not necessarily seeing that. We're not seeing that work that's put in. That's because um, the history is being made. Truth, yeah. It ain't history yet. Yeah. That that's simply it can't just become history overnight if we ain't let them express themselves. We're just acknowledging it now, so it ain't mm. it, it has not become canon simply because it's not canon. Mm. But it is still very valid and real. All right, Akil, I think that's a great place to to end this. Um, not to be not to have a play on words, but. Um, <laughs> Everybody, please go check out um, Akil's band, End It, and the Up LeBlanc's podcast. Uh, where can they find the Up LeBlanc's podcast? Uh, Up the LeBlanc's podcast is on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and any other place you get your podcast. You can find me personally at Alone and Akil. That's A-L-O-N-E-I-N-A-K-I-L on Instagram. Up the LeBlanc's got a Twitter and um do we have Instagram? We all have Instagram. But yeah, find me and you'll find all that stuff. All right, Akil, thank you so much for being the first guest. Um, I know things are a little, they're not as smooth as they possibly could be, um, especially with my uh, broken leg, which is leaving me kind of uh, <laughs> scattered at the moment, but we're making the best of it. Um, so again, oh, thank yeah. you so much for being my first guest. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you soon, buddy. Right on. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Yeah. Later.